Great. Well, this morning we're talking, it's a fascinating passage. Quite a few of the phrases we use in common language come up through this one. Um, so uh, I want to start, last week Laurie took us through the transfiguration. And in, in that sermon, I don't know if you caught a glimpse of just the special moment that Jesus had. Has, I want you to picture him up on this mountaintop. It's a mountaintop experience. And um, he is standing there with Elijah and Moses and he is transfixed. God is saying, this is my son, listen to him. This is a really precious night that they have. He has this um, night with his disciples. And I can't imagine what it would have been like. What, try and capture the feeling. They basically do an all-nighter and they start coming down the hill the next morning. And can you imagine the emotional high uh, that they would be on? Okay, But a few hundred metres out, Jesus starts to hear the religious leaders uh, arguing with the disciples, having a real go at each other. And he can hear it from a few hundred metres out. They've come from this beautiful place and even before they get down to the bottom of the mountain, he's like, oh. And then, then you've also got the disciples and he turns up and they're really confused because they couldn't heal this boy or the, this son. We don't know how old he is. And so the disciples are confused. The, the religious leaders are having a go at him. And then there's this father who's desperate um, for his son to be healed. He's bought his son because he believes that Jesus can heal him. And here are these guys arguing, confusion, sons not being healed. And Jesus walks in and it starts to get... Um, I picture it as a pretty chaotic scene. Uh, I don't know if Jesus realised that the boy's about to go into another fit and start convulsing on the floor. Um, and so Jesus comes down and I don't know if you noticed what he says, uh, but he says, um, he comes down and says, uh, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. This is a pretty interesting phrase. In, in my mind, Jesus is perfect and he never does anything that's sort of frustrated or things. But there are a few times when you catch a glimpse that while Jesus is God, he is also human. And I think this might be one of them. That's the way I'm reading it. Jesus is exhausted. He's come from this emotional high. Do you remember what Moses did when he came down from his mountaintop experience? He grabbed his Ten Commandments and smashed them on the ground. I feel like Jesus is doing pretty well compared to that. But, but Jesus comes down and it's just like, oh, you can feel him sinking. Oh, how, how long do I have to be here? Earth is not Jesus' home. This is not what he's used to. He's just here temporarily to, to work some stuff out for us. And, and so it's, it's interesting. There are a few phrases in here that I find difficult to interpret. Um, so Jesus walks in, anarchy, chaos, religious leaders, boy about to be on the floor and stuff. I want you to picture that. But let's take a step back because in Matthew chapter 4 it says um, that Jesus has authority to do all this. So have a listen. This is one challenging passage. Um, news about him spread as far as Syria and the people soon began, to, um, soon began bringing to him all who were sick and whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralysed, he healed them all. all right? It's the word all at the end of that that is prominent for me. Um, but Jesus has already shown, look, he heals everyone of their illness and epilepsy is on the list. All right? And then in chapter 10, so not long after, he says to the disciples, go out in twos and you have authority to cast out demons and to heal the sick. 
And so Jesus sends them out and they go and do it. So they're healing people around the place. So this is an interesting place to come back to because all of a sudden the disciples are like, what's going on? Like, why can't we heal this guy? Um, okay, so let's, let's um, walk through the healing a little bit. Um, we see the respectful pose of the father. The father comes up in one of the Gospels that says he kneels at the, Jesus' feet and calls him Lord. So he addresses Jesus as Lord, as, as um, the Messiah or as a, mess, a, as a prophet. And he knows he treats him with respect. And he says, in this next bit, I want to let the father and Jesus say most of the words. So I'm just going to read this bit out. The father says, Teacher, I bought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground and he foams at the mouth, he, it gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. It scarcely ever leaves him and it is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. I want you to grab a glimpse of the father's desperation here. I, I've travelled with a couple of families who suffered from epilepsy with children with epilepsy one of their daughters dying at 14 who was in our youth group and I don't know if you can capture how the desperation of this father he is a guy who's never off the hook he's always watching out this son just falls and collapses at random times and so he never knows if he's safe or not he falls into the fire or into the water and he gets rescued so this father is at his wits end to try and look after his son so he comes to Jesus. Jesus asks the father to bring the boy over. And when the, when the spirit sees Jesus, the boy goes into a convulsion. Jesus asks the boy's father, how long has it been like this? From childhood, he answers. It has often thrown him into the fire to want to kill him. But if you can, here's an interesting thing. If you can do, um, I looked up and lost my place. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus' response says, if you can. Did you catch that, said Jesus? Jesus says to him, everything is possible for the one who believes. So here, Jesus is throwing something back at the Father to say that actually to the Father, if you believe, you can heal your son. If you, if, well, if you, if you believe, I can heal the son through your belief, I think is more accurate. And so Jesus says, if you can, everything is possible for one who believes. Now that's pretty confronting, but I love the father's response. Immediately the boy's father explains, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And here's a precious thing that we see. Often we will be needing to face issues or situations or mountains or whatever, and we will be struggling to have the faith to believe that this will be okay or that God will redeem this or that God will save this situation. And often we will struggle in that belief. But in this instance, Jesus actually spans that gap of disbelief. Um, I, I think later on we would hear that it's through the Holy Spirit that, that this comes in the gap. So the Father, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. And it's a beautiful thing of the Holy Spirit coming and helping this father with his unbelief and kind of standing in the gap that's left. So when Jesus saw that, okay, here's more anarchy coming. The crowd is coming. There's a boy convulsing on the floor. It's starting to get rupturous. And the crowd, I reckon they start running because they want to see what's going on. What's he going to do now? 
And so all of a sudden there's this urgency. When Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. There are a couple of situations in Jesus' healings when there's a, a mix of spiritual and physical healing in the one, one thing. Um, so there's another time uh, in Matthew chapter 9 where Jesus uh, casts out a demon and then the dumb person can speak. So he's dealing with a spiritual situation which also impacts the physical. Uh, happens a few times. This is one of them. Um, I was talking to a guy who's been uh, a leader in mental health in Australian hospitals for decades um, and, he, and I said to him, how do you divide between psychology, what's psychological and what's spiritual? And he said, from my experience, there's no place where you can put that scalpel between those two. These two are intertwined and more layered together. You can't divide between these two. And his experience, he said, I've never seen something that is just psychological that doesn't have spiritual to it or vice versa, which is fascinating here. So here Jesus heals him, casts out the demon, and the boy is healed. And that's pretty exciting. I'd love to be there. Can you imagine the father's embrace at that time? Okay, after all this trauma. Okay, so Jesus has basically thrown it back and, he say, and has thrown it back at us. And he says, if you have faith, you can do anything. Now, that's not quite how I feel all the time. All right, I, I suspect Jesus was trying to give an illustration when he said, if you have enough faith, you can move a mountain. But I actually imagine Jesus could if he wanted to anyway. That's the picture of Jesus I have in my head. Look, if it was important, I'll move that mountain for you. But I think he wasn't speaking literally. So let's have a look at that. There are a couple of times where a lack of faith has actually become quite a hampering thing. So in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus returns to his hometown and people were amazed, but they questioned. So they're hearing all his teaching and they're seeing him healing people. But they start questioning him and they're saying, isn't this just the son of Joseph? Isn't he just the brother of James, Joseph, Simon and Judas? And aren't his sisters with us? And they start really questioning, who is this guy? Where did he get this stuff? And Jesus actually says to them, uh, well, the Bible says he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Because of their lack of faith. He said, a prophet's not without honour except in his own hometown. We also see it with Peter. The disciples start heading across the lake and it's a bit stormy, but they see Jesus, well, they see this person walking on the water, overtaking them, I think, on the boat. Anyway, Peter calls out and Jesus says, look, don't be scared, it's me. And Peter says, well, if it's you, tell me to come and walk on the water. Like, Peter, you might want to think about what you're saying. But anyway, he hops out and he starts to walk on the water. The only other human apart from Jesus that I know of who's done that. And he starts walking on the water. But then what happens? He starts to doubt. All right? He starts to have a question of faith. And um, immediately, uh, so, but when he saw the wind and was afraid he, uh, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him, you of little faith, he said. Why do you doubt? And then they climbed into the boat and the wind died down. Now here again, if Peter didn't doubt Jesus, he could have kept walking. That's my interpretation. 
if he didn't doubt, he, his belief in Christ would have kept him on the, on the top of the waves. But, and I think it's fair, he starts to worry. I can imagine myself worrying a little bit too. And then he starts to, to, to fall away. So faith is something really important. There's a real significance of faith. Now, I've got a book that I've fallen in love with. I bought this a couple of years ago called The Infographic Bible. Um, it's only 30 bucks on Amazon if you want to buy it. It's statistics from the Bible. And I, I studied data and statistics at uni. Um, I'm a physicist, and so I just love this kind of boss um, of the Bible. It's really fun. I'm going to leave it at the back of Lena Valley for anyone to look at through this week if you want to. Um, those at Mornington, you'll just have to buy it and look yourself. But I'm going to show you a couple of quick slides. You ready, Dale, with your magic fingers? Here we go. This one, what's, what's the significance of faith in Jesus' teaching? So this is the, you can't read the small writing, but this is the 50 main things that Jesus talked about. The, most, the thing that he talked about the most often was the kingdom of God. All right, you can see the orange circle around. It's, he talked about the kingdom of God a lot. And then he also talked about God the Father a lot. Those are the two things he talked about the most. And then the third thing, you'll see it maybe in the, what's that, orange, he talked about faith, having faith, about believing. So this is the third most, this is the third thing that Jesus talked about most often. So it's probably worth us looking at what, what that is. I'm going to show you the next graphic. This one shows, and you definitely won't be able to read much of this one, but this shows the five things that Jesus, that Jesus talked about most. So same, same list, kingdom of God, and then Father God, faith, money, and Satan. And if you look at the faith one, it's interesting that the lines from faith and then the audience that he talked to about it. So if you look at who he talked to about faith and belief, you won't, we don't have enough time for you to study this, but he mostly talked to individuals, to his disciples, and to named individuals and to specific people. That was his main audience when he was talking about belief. Okay, So the, the interesting thing here is he never talked to the religious leaders about faith. Okay, So that's the one thing I wanted to show you. So Jesus talks a lot about faith. Thanks, Dale. You'll have to study and geek away on stats yourself. Okay, But I'm just going to show you a few of the verses where we're talking about faith in the New, in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 11, that great chapter of faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So it says it's impossible to please God without faith. In Mark chapter 9, all things are possible for him who believes, which we read today. Matthew 15, then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. You can go back and read these stories. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid, just believe and she will be healed. And so there's this amazing interplay that Jesus places on our belief and our faith. Somehow that's important. Okay. Now, the good news is I'm going to show you something. All right. Don't worry about following with the cameras. But I've put in a lot of effort... I studied uh, physics and robotics and computing at uni, which has come in very handy today. And Luke, if you're looking for your exit light circuitry, it's uh, not on my hat. What I've done is I've built this thing called a faithometer, okay? And it's got a scale on it, so you can actually wear it to see how much faith you have. Um, David, my mic's a bit loud because it's feeding back. 
someone want to pop it down a bit? Okay, um, if I put it on, then what happens is I can measure my faith. Now, would you guys like to borrow this? And the scale here goes from, uh, well, that's the mustard seed. So if you get right up to mustard seed, you can move a mountain. But here we've got orchid. They're 0.1 of a millimetre. So they're way smaller than a two millimetre mustard seed. That's not enough faith to move a mountain. Is that right? Okay. It actually goes up to avocado and then mango. Okay. So if you want to try that out, you can try my faith meter Now, the funny thing about this is Jesus is not talking about a scale of quantity of faith. It's not that you have to, it's not a currency. You don't have to try and earn enough faith so that you can do something. So this is actually useless in this illustration. Um, and, and it doesn't sit here on its own either. <laughs> so, but but what, what, what happens here with faith is it's actually more a perspective um, than having enough of something. So you can't sort of conjure up enough faith to try and do something. Uh, like, I just need more faith, just need more faith. That actually is doing nothing, all right? What, instead, what you need is a new perspective. You need to see the world from God's perspective. You need to know that Jesus is Lord and that he can do all things. And then there's this interplay between our faith and the amazing power of God, okay? Now, here's a little test for Lena Valley. Who's seen the movie Free Guy? Yeah, so this illustration is going to work really well. Okay, <laughs> over at Mornington, hands up if you've seen Free Guy. There's a few more over there. Okay, there's this new movie, well, it's not even new, there's this movie that came out five years ago, I think. Um, basically, it's a guy who puts on, he, he finds some glasses and he puts them on and all of a sudden, he, it's the same world, but it's a world where he has unlimited capabilities. He can do pretty much anything um, and he realises that when he puts the glasses on, he sees the world differently. It's a fun movie, you'll love it, <laughs> but watch it with your grandkids, okay? Or kids, kids, it's a bit older than that. Um, but it, I think this is a better way of picturing faith than my faith meter. It's not that you can conjure up enough faith all the way up to mustard seed, but it's more that are you able to see the world from a different perspective? The father of the son with the epilepsy, if he sees Jesus as the son of God who is the ruler of the universe and has all the power to do things, then if he can trust that Jesus who can heal anything, then that's, that's the perspective he needs to come from. It's not that he needs to build up this currency. I'm going to put my glasses away as well. And Simeon, I've got your sunglasses. Um, but, um, and we, we see in Matthew chapter 17, uh, it's the same story but from the Matthew side of it. We didn't read this verse. Jesus states, you unbelieving and perverse generation. Now, that's pretty tough language. Um, I find when I've been reading this over and over, it's just like, wow, that's... Um, Where's the compassion in that statement as Jesus comes? And, I, and this is what I mean. I think he's exhausted and he says this. But, but I want you to understand, Jesus states, you unbelieving and perverse generation. Now, in our language, if I call you perverse, I'm probably calling you sinful and evil and stuff. It's to do with sin in our English language. But if you go back to the Greek, it's actually more talking about perverse meaning um, that you're seeing it wrong, that you have a distorted perspective and that you're seeing it wrong. And I think that helps me understand this passage. 
Um, Jesus stands there and he says, oh, guys, you just can't see it. You've got eyes and you're not seeing it. You've got ears, you're not hearing it. And so that they have a distorted view of the earth and what's going on here and a distorted view that doesn't include Jesus as this all-powerful God. Um, okay. Now, I'd like to... Another thing that helps me understand this bit is the NIV study companion where that says... Rather, faith is confidence that we can do what God calls us to do. We'll talk about this in a minute. It is taking God at his word. Therefore, the disciples should not place confidence in what they have, but confidence that if God calls them to something, that they can do it in his strength. And this is another interplay that I really want to strengthen. If God calls you to something, and then if you believe, then you can do anything. All right? And I think this is, there's a few passages where it says that you can do anything. You can move mountains. And I think it's this interplay of seeking God and his will and then believing that he can do it. And it's this God's power and our obedience together that can do anything. And Jesus states this several times. If you have belief, then you can do anything. Um, okay, but, but one of the problems for us is that Satan is roaring like, like a lion roaring around trying to seek to devour. And what happens is um, if we're not exercising our faith, if we're not living from the perspective of seeing God and his power, then we can actually find that our faith diminishes over time. Um, the righteous, it says, will live by faith and we are kept by faith, we are saved by faith. But Satan is interested in diminishing our faith. And so... Um, he'll find ways of distracting us and eroding that faith that we have. And so being able to live in a perspective that sees God's world is really important. But often we retreat back to self and back to survival, back to our own comfort and pleasure, which doesn't include this perspective of God's realm. And so we are distracted and our faith gets diminished. We, we end up having a perspective that is just me and here and now and that it doesn't include the, the eternal. And so what does it mean to live by faith? It says, um, the righteous shall live by faith. So, yeah, and um, one verse, and then, then I want to get into a quick story. One verse that really um, impacts me in this is but we from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. So really encouraging us, um, how do you live in a faith in a way that you can move mountains, that you can walk on water, that you can do whatever God is calling you to do. Now moving a mountain is a proverbial phrase. It's actually been in the Bible since Isaiah, so it's been used a lot. Jesus is referring back to old language, old ideas that are in people's minds. Moving a mountain is a proverbial um, Jewish piece of literature. You'll see it in Isaiah a few times. And faith simply means that if God calls a person to do something, it will be accomplished through his power and that person's obedience. Even the most absurd things from this world's point of view can be accomplished if God calls us to do it. I know for, for Danny and I, um, choosing to move to the UK, it, and quite often in my experience, is whenever I feel God has called me to something, it's not been a sensible decision to make. And he's often called me to live almost, well, to make unsensible choices, to, to follow him and his calling. 
Um, but he has been there to meet us and provide for us in a, in a way that's incredible. Um, and so even the most absurd things from the world's perspective can be accomplished by having faith in God. I want, I'd like to talk, tell you just one story about a guy um, who I would say moved mountains. All right, So let's look at his faith. There was, um, there was a young Dutch guy, a missionary, um, in, from Holland. Now, he, went, he actually wrote to the Polish social, so, so, um, what is it called? socialist group. I can't remember what they're called. He actually wrote, uh, so they're communists, but they were called socialists back then. He wrote to the socialists and he said, I'd like to come to your convention in Poland. Now, this is just after the Iron Curtain has gone up. Communism says there is no religion, and so religion is now outlawed. Um, and so being part of a church is illegal in these countries at this point. Uh, and so this guy writes and says, I'd like to come. He's had a miraculous coming to faith. I want to come to your Socialist Party convention. And they say, sure, you can come. And he writes back and said, but I want to talk about Jesus. And they say, you can come. You can talk about whatever you like, which for him was a real shock because the Iron Curtain was really full on um, in the media so he end up he ends up going over there with his bible in his suitcase the bible is an illegal book in that country you can be put in prison just for having it and he has all these tracts that he wants to hand out so he walks into the country he ends up going up to to a um in in poland he finds a baptist underground baptist church and he goes in there um one one evening during that visit he went to a baptist church in warsaw where he was invited to speak and he tells the story, at the end of my talk, the pastor said the most interesting thing of all. We want to thank you, he said, for being here. Even if you'd not said a word, just seeing you would have meant so much. We feel at times as if we are alone in our struggle. So this guy, he, um, the churches feel abandoned and lost. Their faith is illegal. Um, there are Bibles are confiscated and burnt. And this guy goes and just sees the trouble that they're in. And... The fact that they, he even saw them that is encouraging to them. But he then walks out the door, he sees the Socialist Party and all of these youth marching down the street with red scarves on and he just feels the call of God that this is a nation that needs to know God and needs to have God's word. So he goes home and at the end of the trip, um, so he, he really hears God saying this verse to him, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die which is actually a reference to the, one of the latter churches in Revelations 3. Now, what he does is he goes home, he rustles up some money. He doesn't have any money. He's just a factory worker. But he buys this clangor of a Volkswagen. I think we've got a picture of it, Dale. We'll chuck up. And they call it the miracle car because it really shouldn't get anywhere. But he loads up the front. It's a rear engine. So he lifts the bonnet and he just fills it with Bibles and tracts and He's just doing this just between him and God. He feels God wants him to do this. So he drives this to the border um, and the guards are all there with their guns and stuff. He's carrying illegal material into their country. Uh, and as he approaches them, he just... So he feels called by God to do this. I think it's insane to do crazy stuff if you don't feel like you're called by God. Just a warning. That's... But here he says he's called by God. And he says to him, Lord, in my luggage, I have scripture I want to take to your children. When you were on earth, you made blind eyes see. Now I pray, make seeing eyes blind. Don't let the guards see the, those things 
um, you do not want them to see. So he prays this as he drives up. The guards open the bonnet and look in there. And there's Bibles everywhere. And they're looking around. And then the guard just says, you're good to go. And then, and then off he goes. Now, he does this a lot of times. And actually, I don't know if you know, there's someone in Mornington who smuggled Bibles into a communist country as well. Um, I've got plenty of friends who've done that sort of stuff, but, which is fantastic. But the thing I want us to focus on is this was a mountain that, that this guy, Andrew, needed moved. And it, it, in human eyes, it would be impossible that this could be moved. But he just follows the power of God. And you see this interplay of being called, so it's God's will, but also having obedience to it. Um, and then tack on to the end of that is it's quite often not the sensible choice. Okay, But these three things playing, and then this beautiful thing being achieved. Now, Andrew is then responsible in 1981. He sends one million Bibles into China. They, they get a boat, and at night they package the boats up in floatable packs, and they just push them to the beach so basically, you'll see drug runners do it the same method. They push it to the beach and Chinese people knew where to pick them up and they put them on their bikes and rode off in the night. And one million Bibles were distributed through China. Um, it's an incredible story. You can research it yourself. Um, but this is, this is what it means to move mountains and to have faith in God. So I wonder, how going. Is your faith, would you call your faith vibrant? Um, I'm not going to put the faith meter on you, um, but it doesn't really work, just spoiler. But, but I'd really love us to practice what does it mean to live by faith? Now, that we've been talking with the young adults on Monday night, just how do you be spiritually healthy? Because faith is something that you need to practice and you need to continue to live in. So this brother, Andrew, it's from a, he wrote a book called God Smuggler, if you want to read more of it. He... Um, he practiced his faith all the time and he knew without a doubt that God was powerful and could do great things. But I wonder for us, how are you going at practicing your faith knowing that God is great and can do amazing things? How do you go living with those glasses on that knows that God is in charge here, that, that God has the power and the authority? So with the young adults we've been talking, if you want to stay physically fit, you can't just hope that you'll get fit. All right? It doesn't happen. I've been trying for years. Um, unfortunately, you actually have to be proactive. You have to you know, eat healthy and sleep well and exercise, but you actually have to choose to do these things. Now, to stay spiritually healthy, I think it takes the same level of intentionalness. Is that a word? <laughs> Being intentional. It, it's still the same thing. You, you have to be, get match fit. Now, God can do incredible things. He can take a small group of 300 soldiers and defeat a whole horde of army, which we read in Gideon. He can actually get, you can say, I'm going to follow God no matter what, and they'll throw you in a furnace and you'll still survive, like the um, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. What does it mean to be match fit ready with your spiritual health? And here are a few tips for you. So if you, if you want to practice your faith, and get stronger in your faith, here are some things that you can do. You can actually soak up God's word, read the Bible, really study it on a daily basis. You can spend time in prayer, not, not the just um, God give me, give me prayer, but actually communicating with God, spending time meditating, listening to him, 
Um, I, I often journal because my mind goes too fast and it goes all over the place. But if I'm holding a pen, it slows me down enough so that I can listen to God. Um, so the word and prayer, also with fellowship. So really encouraging each other as congregations. Um, how do we spur each other on in our faith? And it means that we talk about meaningful things. It means we don't just talk about where are you from and what do you do. It means that you'll have a group of friends. We talk about kingdom cells, that kind of thing. A group of friends that know what your struggles are, where your doubts are and how your faith is going and actually asks you, how is that stuff going? doesn't let you just ride through life and waste a bunch of years, but actually lets us really spur each other on. And then the other one is, I think is important is obedience and ministry. My faith would be so much weaker if I hadn't been using it to do things which I thought I couldn't achieve. Um, and so being obedient to God's calling and actually, God, what are you asking of me today or this week or this year? What is it you want me to focus on? What is it you want me to achieve? And then I will believe that th- through my faithfulness and your power, we-, we will be able to move that mountain. So actually living in these places where you need to have your faith is what will strengthen you. You'll see God come through over and over again. So I'm going to finish up there. Um, I'll just pray and then throw back to the band. But yeah, let's pray. Father, I pray that you will help us. Um, I love this man's phrase. I believe, help my unbelief. Father, I really pray for each of us that you'll help us to get closer to you, to draw closer into your word and to pray more, to really have fellowship with others that spurs us on. But Father, also to be obedient to your calling. Lord, don't let us waste opportunities that you are calling us to. Father, I pray that you will really spur us on to to imagine the impossible that, that you want us to do and then to step into that. So thanks, Father. Thanks for so many who've shown us how to do it before. Amen. Thanks, Bruce.